it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is session number four. I have myself, Dave Ahern, as the co-host. We also have Andrew Sather as the other co-host. Today, we're going to be talking to Erin. Erin is a beginner, and she is a member of Andrew's e-letter. And with that, Erin, if you'd like to go ahead and ask your first question, please. Sure. Well, I'm new to purchasing strictly stocks. I have a 401k through my work, but I wanted to invest a little differently. And so my first question in understanding how all that works is how does the automatic drip work, which I have set up right now, but I know that, you know, you receive dividends and then, but how does that work exactly? Yeah. So this is a very, very key thing to understand. And really a lot of people and a lot of investors, even professional investors, they don't, either they don't comprehend this idea or they just don't care to apply it, but it can be so powerful. And it's one of those things that makes long-term investing so attractive. So one of the ways I'll try to describe it is this way. Imagine, you know, you have a, a room in your house and basically within that room, you have a long row of coffee makers. And what those coffee makers do is they drip down into a big vat that you might have. And then the vat has a tube that feeds back into one of the coffee makers. So you buy your first stock that's like activating your first coffee maker. And so the stock will drip down and that drip will feed back into a second coffee maker. And then that second coffee maker will also start dripping, have a drip. It's not going to be as big as the first one, but it's going to have that drip. And so the way that if you look at the first coffee maker we talked about, that drip is slowly getting bigger and bigger. So as as those drips continue to accumulate, you can see that the second drip will get bigger. That drip also contributes to the whole pot. Eventually, you'll get the second coffee maker to drip just like the first coffee maker. That's when the tube will shift to a third and then you can see as that keeps going and the drips get bigger and bigger and bigger, 
the accumulation of coffee makers that are able to work will get faster and faster and faster. And it very basically just compounds from there. So in the story, the, the coffee maker is the, the first stock we bought. And then as you reinvest the dividends, which is the drip, that's like the, the tube part is the reinvestment. And so basically any dividends, any income you're receiving from a stock allows you to buy more stocks. Those additional shares, even if they're fractional shares, will start to accumulate more shares. And companies that pay dividends, one of their biggest goals is to make those dividend payments increase every year. And so that's why I said the drip slowly gets bigger and bigger and you know, over time can really become a big drip because as the dividend payment grows, you're getting more of an income and then you're able to buy even more shares from that. And so what, what the whole drip thing is as it relates to your investments is we're trying to just put that on automatic. So number one, when you do something like that, you just, you tell your broker and for mine, I use TradeKeen. I was, all I had to do was give them a phone call and every stock I buy, they automatically drip it for me. What that does, not only does it give you shares as time goes on, but it also keeps you from having to pay taxes like dividend taxes when you receive that dividend income. So that's another nice uh, benefit from all of this. And really it's what you're getting is like what I like to refer to as a double compounding interest. So, you, you know, regular compounding interest is you buy a stock, you give that corporation your money, they grow it by 12% a year and they're able to do that every single year, you know, whatever the number may be. And because it's growing every year, then again, you're making 12% and then you're making 12% on the 12%. So it's a compounding effect. Now, when you add dividends to that and you see growing dividends and you're plus you're reinvesting those growing dividends. Now we have dividends that are compounding maybe 20% and then 20% on their 20%, 20% on their 20% plus you're accumulating shares. So the first year, maybe you got dividends on one share. Maybe the second year you got dividends on a share and a tenth, let's say. And then as that continues to grow, you can see it just starts to accumulate. And all of a sudden, all of these drips start to line up and you have five, 10, 15 drips going at once. The key to it, again, it was started very, very small. So people look at a dividend yield of 3% and it's like, okay, well, who really cares, right? It's $5, $10, $30, $100. Doesn't seem like much, but that's not the point. The point is to get the drip started and then letting it accumulate over time. And then five, 10 years later, that's when things can really start to accumulate. And so I think it's a big reason why a lot of people don't do it, don't care to learn about it is because it does take, I mean, I'd say at least five, 10 years. And then, you know, each five-year increment after that, you you see even bigger and bigger compounding. Yeah, I I, I really like the analogy that uh, Andrew came up with with a coffee dripper. That's new. I like that. That was uh, very creative. It's a... The the cool thing about drips is it's free money that you can use to reinvest in what you've already bought. You invest in companies that pay a dividend. That's one of the additional perks that comes along with it. You know the 401k that you mentioned earlier. The company, you know, your company's 401k will have all those stocks automatically reinvesting 
the dividends that are paid every quarter. So every quarter, that's one of the ways that your 401k will help, you know, increase its value is by the drips being, you know, by the dividends being reinvested. If you have, you know, your uh, individual stockbroker, you can, like Andrew said, just call them up and, and do it. I have two different individual brokers that I use, and I did that for both of them, and they knew exactly what I was talking about. They don't do it automatically. You have to call them and ask them to do it. But it's it's a must if you're wanting to you know continue to compound you know the money that you've invested in any of these companies you know compounding interest you know Albert Einstein stated that he considered it the eighth wonder of the world and he was the one that kind of came up with the formula for compounding interest and when somebody like Albert Einstein makes a comment like that it's something I'm going to pay attention to he uh, was a brilliant man and he's absolutely right it is one of the untouched, untalked about, untapped potential in investing that people just don't talk about enough. I guess that's kind of my thoughts on that. Wonderful. So my second question then, if we're, if you're okay with moving on to that one then? Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, unless you have anything else you'd like to, you know, to ask us about that, feel free to, you know, ask whatever you'd like. I think I, I think I understand it pretty well that, you know, it, it does take time and even, you know, you buy one stock, basically say $40 and they, you know, return you a 3% on that with their dividend. And so it just, it takes a little bit of, it, it automatically reinvests that money towards purchasing another $40 stock. It just might take a little bit of time. It might take, you know, but is, is that correct? Is that how that Yeah, works? it's, it's incremental. So the, as it, as it buys a shit, you know, so the $40 that you have, if it pays 3%, so that 3% is going to be reinvested in a percentage of that stock. So 3% of $40 is $1.20. So it's going to buy, buy another $1.20 worth of your of your share and so on and so on. And that's how it increases your your money. Sure. Yeah, and so like in that example, if you have a $40, they're, they're going to pay a 3% yield. If you assume that they grow that dividend payment by 20% next year, now you're getting instead of a three percent on what you originally paid, you'll get like a three point eight percent on what you originally paid. And then if they increase another twenty percent the next year, now you're looking at like a four point five percent yield. And then, because I, I, I did let an example like this very recently, just for my own investments, and I saw like getting up to like a ten percent yield within, I think it was like five or six years. And so. Those kind of things can happen when a company increases their dividend. And so if you can imagine all along the way, as you're getting a 3%, 4%, 5% yield, that's all accumulating shares every single year. And so your one share could quite quickly become two shares or more, depending on how the company performs in the future. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, my next question factors in your Roth IRA that you mentioned that you in your letters that you have. And so in my understanding of it, those are two separate entities basically because, you know, when you purchase stocks, I guess that's just different because I, so with my 401k, with my work, it's just, you know, the money just automatically goes in there from my paycheck. And so in a way, that's kind of what a Roth IRA would be. Also, you just kind of automatically put money towards that. So how do those two things correlate in your portfolio as you kind of describe it? Are you talking about the Roth IRA and your 401k? Well, do you have two separate? So you, with, okay, so with the Trade King, which I've 
set up a Trade King account and I've started purchasing just a couple of stocks over the past, you know, month or two. And so, you know, that's a separate account from say a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. And so in, I'm trying to understand like in your letters, do you still have two separate accounts that you're funding basically the stocks and then your Roth IRA? Well, Dave is the expert on IRA, so I'm going to let him answer. <laughs> but uh, when I am talking to the, the e-leather portfolio, it is just a single Roth IRA portfolio. Yeah, to, to, kind of, to, to kind of delve into your question a little bit. So a 401k is an investment account that your employer sets up for you that allows you to contribute to on a tax-deferred or tax-free basis to invest for your retirement. They have choices that you can choose you know, to allocate those funds. In that 401k, you have two different types of accounts that you can choose from. And this applies to an individual brokerage account as well. So in the 401k, you have the choice of doing either a Roth or traditional. And so the Roth is the easiest way to think of these two. Traditional is before tax money. So if you invest $200 into your 401k every paycheck, in a traditional, there will be no taxes taken out of that $200. So that money will be invested during the life of the money that's in the 401k. When you retire and you want to start taking that money out, Uncle Sam's going to be standing there right at the door waiting for his cut. The Roth is after-tax money. So that $200 would have taxes taken out of it. And then when you retire and would like to take that money out, that money is tax-free at that time. So those are those are kind of a, two simple ways of thinking of those. In an individual brokerage account, you have three different ways you can go. You can go with just a standard brokerage account, which has no tax implications whatsoever. There's no free about it. You don't have any after-tax or before-tax liabilities with that. In a Roth and a traditional, the same rules apply. So a Roth, like Andrew was talking about in his uh, portfolio, his, the money has already been taken out by his employer. So when he takes that money and he invests it into his Roth IRA at Trade King, he will not pay taxes on that $200 when he takes that money out when he retires. So that's kind of the, the basic gist of it. So a, a brokerage account, whether it's Trade King, whether it's Fidelity, Scott Trade, whoever it may be, those are investing brokers that will be able to take your money and invest it in the stock market for you. Within those, you have a choice of what kinds of accounts you'd like to set up, depending on what kind of tax benefits you want to receive for those. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so because I am very young still, the way I kind of figured was that I expect to have a higher income later on in life than I do now, having just started my career within five years. So... Basically, I'll eat the tax liability up front today, and that way, when I take it out later, I'm not, in theory, I'm not paying as much tax as I would have just paid right now because hopefully I have a ton of money in the future. And to kind of add on a little bit, um, with dividends, like Andrew talks about a lot, with dividends, the Roth IRA is a better vehicle for that because the tax implications are, it's free. So it, with this $200 that you invest, the dividends that you earn on that money over the life of the investment, however long you have it in that account, you will never pay taxes on that portion of the dividends. If you hold the money until you're 59 and a half, 59 and a half is kind of the golden number for IRAs. 
when you reach 59 and a half, you could take any of the money out of the Roth IRA that was initially invested. So the $200 plus any dividends that it earned for the past 35 years or however long it may be, you will not pay taxes on that money. Yes. Yeah, so that, that explains the difference of those two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let me. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Okay, so with purchasing stocks, I've set it up. I have an online account. You know, it shows you know, the stocks that you've purchased and the purchase price and everything. Since I've just started it and I haven't been able to watch it, I'm kind of jumping the gun and asking you how this might work. But with my 401k account, I can just log on and see the change in the how much is in there day to day if I want to, whether it's kind of gone up or down according to the market. You can see that kind of fluctuate. Does it work the same way with this Trade King account, and forgive me for calling it that, but I don't, you know, I know what a 401k is in a traditional IRA, but I don't technically know what to call just, you know, this stock account that I have. Um, and here's where I sound a little ignorant, but are you able to just log in every day basically and see the fluctuation on on that and see, you know, hey, I've made $3 off this, you know, dividend and it reinvested. I mean, does it show it there? And is that where everything resides is just within this, I guess, brokerage account? 
Yep. Easy question, easy answer. Answer is yes. 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 He's, he's absolutely right. Uh, I guess the question you want to ask yourself is, I don't know if I would necessarily want to log in and look at it every single day because, you know, we're, we're emotional people. And, you know, if you see the stock go down a few points, you might freak out and think, oh, gosh, I got to buy it. Likewise, if it goes up, you might get a little irrationally exuberant and go, sweet, I got to go buy more. So maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I personally don't like to look at it every day. That's just kind of my opinion. What I do and like that. Sorry, that go too. ahead, Aaron. Oh, I just, I've been told that too. And I, I completely understand that. I guess for my purposes, that's kind of how I learn initially is just to kind of watch it and to try and understand it. But you're right. You do have to, there's been times when it's gone down and you just have to kind of, it's all right. It's long term. You just shut it down and walk away and, you know, a week later, pull it back up and just kind of see what's going on. But that's basically what I wanted to know is, is that how this is going to work in essence? Yeah, and what I do like about TradeKing too is they send me an email every time I get a dividend. So you're talking, you, you know, you were talking about um, knowing when you get those dividends to reinvest. So I'll get the email, and then you know, every time I open it, I just feel good because I just made some money. And a couple of days go by, and then I'll see my share numbers increase. You know, it's usually a, a percent or a fraction of a share that it went up, but it, you do see it go up and then that reflects in your total gain loss percentage when you look at the complete position. And so you'll see that reflected also uh, within a few days. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. My next question is just on, you know, when you choose... So you teach that it's probably good to keep between 15 15 and 20 stocks, probably 20, and, you know, you invest a certain amount every month towards purchasing however many stocks you can get for that, you know, or shares, I'm sorry, you can get for that money. So, you know, obviously that would take a little bit, especially if, you know, one share is over $100, you know, you're only going to be able to technically buy one that month. And so once you get to that point of um, purchasing shares, do you just kind of start back over in the list and start, you know, just continuing to add to each one as much as you can over time? Yeah, that's a great question. So I like to talk about how when I get close or when I reach that 20 stock total, how I like to pare down my portfolio. It's at those times is when I'll reevaluate and try to see which stocks maybe have done well, but the company behind it isn't doing as optimal as it should be and maybe just taking some gains off there. So that's what I did in the the January issue. Ended up selling like four positions and in each case the results over a year's time was not what we were hoping for to see and because I had the luxury of already being diversified out um, and those shares had actually gone up in value. I was able to just kind of take the benefits of buying a stock when it was cheap and selling it when it wasn't as cheap. And even though the business didn't do as well as we hoped, we still made a profit. So that's what I did. And for your question about wanting to add more, I would probably try not to and just keep to the same adding 150 into whichever new stock pick there is. For one reason is 
a lot of these opportunities, once they've gone up in share price, maybe they've gained 10%, 20%, 30%. At those new prices, they might not be as great deals as they were back before they saw their share price go higher. At the same time, if I, ha- if I had to pick between I have a new opportunity in one hand and then I have an old opportunity in another and maybe the old opportunity, you know, it's, it's investing. Obviously, there's a system you put in place and you have certain principles you live by. So one of those that I like to live by is buy stocks that are trading at a discount to what they're really worth based on what the business is worth. And also other principles such as stay diversified and then try to invest for the long term. But we have this system in place, not thinking that every stock is going to be a 100% perfect pick, but that over time, applying these principles and sticking to the system will give us better results over the long term. And so if I take two equal positions and I look at them, one is a stock that hasn't moved for six months since I recommended it, and one's a brand new opportunity, I would rather just maybe be a little bit humble and just realize, okay, I don't necessarily need to sell this stock that hasn't done, hasn't gone anywhere, but the fact that the market hasn't realized how undervalued it is, maybe this new stock that I'm going to add to my position anyway, maybe I'll just put that in there. So, I mean, I guess, you know, it depends too on how much money you're adding each month. If it's variable, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I attend to, for this e-leather portfolio, it's always the same 150 per month. So I'm just always adding one new position. And you could add, if you had like excess money, you could choose, maybe I want to add, spread them out between some new positions. But definitely I would, if that were the case, you would have to be in stocks haven't run up yet. And because the stocks that have run up are most likely not as great of deals as they used to be. And, you know, sometimes a new opportunity is better than an old stale one. I don't have a whole lot to add to what Andrew was saying. I think what he was saying was right on the money. I, you know, with the way that I do it is I have probably around 15 stocks in my portfolio. And every month I just add more to them. I don't necessarily, you know, I, the way I look at it is I'm older, so I don't have as much of a time frame as Andrew does. And I'm sure you do. So I'm more looking at, you know, I'm buying these companies really for my daughter, to be honest with you. I'm trying to set this up as a situation where she can, you know, that she will be able to, you know, use this money for whatever she'd like to use in the future. So I'm looking at these as companies I'm going to hold for basically forever. So I just keep adding to the positions as I go along. And I know Andrew splits his his portfolio up into kind of his, you know, regular stock picks and then his, you know, dividend, you know, fortresses. And I kind of look at my portfolio as all dividend fortresses. And, you know, unless I make a choice that is a company that's maybe doing poorly or has after a year or so has not been realized, like Andrew was saying, that the market just hasn't realized how great it really is, that they haven't jumped on it, then at that point, then I may make a decision on, on, you know, selling the position. You know, in the last three years, I think I've sold two stocks. So, you know, it's not something that I really do. And I, I look at them as when I buy them, I realize, I think that they're going to go up. I have confidence that I've made the right decision, and I've done all the research to figure out that I think it is a good company, and I'm going to sit on it and wait for it. Because I guess my time horizon is not the next 10 or 15 years when I'm going to retire. I'm looking at my daughter, you know, who's four, 
I'm looking at trying to set her up so that when she's 50 or 60, she has different options to choose from at that point. So that's that's kind of the way that I look at it. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I appreciate that. Well, that kind of leads in, you mentioned, I guess, my last question, uh, if we have time, is just in, the, in diversifying. How I understand that that's a very important thing. I uh, you know, you don't put all of your eggs in one basket. That's kind of one-on-one. But with stocks and bonds, I know that they're similar yet very different. And how do you go about diversifying? I'm just, I'm still trying to grasp, you know, you mentioned 50% stocks and 50% bonds based on the market or 25% stocks to 75% bonds. Is that the quantity of shares that you would buy in each one? And would be that's my first question. And then my second question Part two of the same question is in purchasing bonds. Can you also do that through, say, Trade King? And is it added to that same portfolio that you keep with them, or is it a separate entity? Okay, let's see. So the the bonds, I got the the twenty five percent to seventy five percent, and then fifty to fifty percent. That was from Benjamin Graham. He's one of the investing legends. He was around back in the I think during the Great Depression, and he he was able to make substantial returns in the recovery after the Great Depression. He wrote numerous books. He was a, a professor of economics. And his recommendation was to do some mix of this split depending on what you're comfortable with. And in the financial planning industry, you'll hear things like this as well. They tend to call it asset allocation. And what they do is they tend to vary that that uh, mix based on your risk profile, and they tend to make that risk profile decision based on your age. So basically the thought process is as you get older, you want less risk because you're going to have to retire soon. So a market downturn like we see every so often would be a lot more detrimental if you're closer to retirement. And so they tend to do more to bonds than to stocks. So bonds do move in price as well, but the way that that works is you're basically just taking your money and loaning it to somebody and they have to pay you back. So as long as that person who you're loaning to doesn't go bankrupt or have have any ability to pay you back, you'll tend to get the full value of that bond back. So you can do that through government bonds, which historically have been very safe because you know, the United States has the Federal Reserve and the printing press, and so they have been able to pay off anybody's bonds no matter what has happened. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but the government bonds tend to be expressed as one of the most safe. And then you also have the option of buying a corporate bond where you are lending money to a corporation, and these are publicly traded and available online. I, I've done some research on them. It's it's tough because generally you need at least $5,000 as like a general rule of thumb of what you need to buy like a single bond. A lot of the bonds, if you look, if you use their, um, there's a couple bond screening tools that are used similar in a similar fashion that you would use when you're trying to screen for a stock. Like Morningstar has one and that one, I mean, I looked through some of them and just looked through some of the corporate bonds that are available on there and I was like, Oh, yeah, you know, you can buy this group of bonds for $300 million. We also have a second offering of $900 million. <laughs> so it, it was kind of ridiculous. But there are some good ways to get bond exposure 
that any average individual investor can do. There's bond ETF funds, which work just like an index fund, and those tend to be a lot less volatile than a stock fund. You'll see them kind of hovering around the same price, and then you just are basically collecting the dividends, which are the bond coupons that are getting paid out from basically to this fund who owns a big group of bonds. And that's one way to get exposure. And, you know, when we talk about, let's say, let's say you're going to do a 75%, 25% mix, you're going to go 75% stock, 25% bonds. All that means is if I have $1,000 in my portfolio, 250 of it's going to be in bonds, 750 is going to be in stocks. And when you when you do want to buy a bond, like if you want to buy an individual bond, that's something you would go you you would go through TradeKeen and they have their special ticker that you would use. The same thing if you're buying like a bond fund. Again, it's a ticker just like any individual stock. And you can go online. I would recommend before you buy any sort of ETF, you would want to go online, maybe Yahoo Finance, Google Finance. Doesn't really matter, but look at the prospectus. Look at things like the expense ratio. Is it expense ratio or I think it's called something else. Whatever the fees are, figure out how much how much you're paying in fees towards management and just general portfolio maintenance. Figure out what kind of holdings the ETF has. So, you know, if you're doing a bond ETF, there's a big difference in an ETF that buys thousands of junk bonds and calls that a diversified safe portfolio and one who buys high quality blue chip stocks that have been around for decades and most likely will be around for the next decades. So you're going to want to be smart about it. Unfortunately, there is no set in, forget it when it comes to investing. There's always at least some basic level of understanding that needs to happen whenever you jump into any sort of investment. But the nice thing is once you have that base level, you can apply that and in the same way that maybe the first time you look at a bond ETF and its information on it, it might seem confusing. The same thing can happen with stocks when you're looking at how to analyze and how to figure out which ones are good and which ones aren't. But as time goes on, you start to become more comfortable and then you understand, okay, the important things is look for the bond ETF prospectus look at what the, the uh, company is holding and what am I paying in fees and then maybe some general, okay, this is the kind of volatility I can expect with a fund like this and these are my dividend payments that I will receive. So for myself personally, I've written about bonds and I really respect Benjamin Graham's recommendation to buy bonds. Personally, at my age, I'm at such a young age that I honestly don't care if the market loses all of its value tomorrow because I'm not going to be pulling out my money anytime soon. So having bonds is nice for having income that you can take that income, reinvest it. And that's one really great benefit of bonds over stocks. And so that's why all my positions are dividend payers. And that's why we talked about the drip earlier at the beginning of this episode. So I'm getting my income through that and using that to funnel and to make my compounding much higher. And so as a result, I don't really need to buy bonds. My last point, I know I'm rambling. You can also use bonds if you have a sense of where the market's going to go. So like a, as a general rule, yes, 
bond prices do follow stock prices and vice versa, just because it's not like you're going to find some perfect time period where it's like, okay, well, this is the best time to buy bonds and this is the best time to buy stocks. And all asset prices, they expand and contract and there's never one that's completely a perfect buy when one's a perfect sell. So don't think of bonds in that sense that, okay, I can just manipulate the market and figure out when I'm going to buy bonds because that's when stocks aren't good buys. But bonds can be good purchases if you feel that the market's going to go down in value because if you're going to buy bonds and hold them just for the payments that they're going to receive to you, then you could care less to where the bond prices go. And if you have this intuitive sense that the stock market's going to go down, well, by pulling some of that market out, you just saved yourself from some losses and you created an income-producing asset that won't drop in value like a stock would by investing more in bonds. So that's a ton of ton of different options for you. That was a, a brain dump, information <laughs> dump about like bonds 101. And I know you probably have a ton more questions. I know Dave probably has something to add too. Yeah, real, real quickly, I guess, Aaron, with the 401k that you have, do you have any bonds as a part of that portfolio? I think so. And I know that I should know that question and the answer to that. And I, I think so. Okay. Well, I guess first thing I would do would, when you have a moment is check on that and find out if that is the case. So for my for my 401k where I work, I do have a small portion of my portfolio is in bonds. I have 10% of my uh, portfolio in bonds. I have 5% in international and then I have 5 in kind of a general U.S. bond fund. And so with the things that I do with Trade King, for example, I don't worry about bonds because for my 401k has that covered. So the majority of my investment money, because my employer matches my contribution, I let that be where it is and I don't mess with it. So with the bonds, then I don't, for my individual portfolio, I don't use bonds. Uh, I've done some research on them, like Andrew has, I've written some posts about them. You know, I've tried to learn a lot about them. It's kind of a, a completely different animal than, than stocks, and it's a whole different world. And I am not intelligent enough to tell you how to go out and buy one individual bond by itself. I wouldn't feel comfortable giving you that suggestion. I guess my recommendation would be to think about, A, what are you comfortable with your risk? That's the most important part is how, how comfortable with you are you following what Andrew is teaching you and using his information to buy those companies, which I think is a great recommendation. Number two is if you're comfortable with all that and you have bonds covered in your portfolio, in your 401k, then maybe that's something at this point in, you know, in the stage of your investing career that maybe putting bonds, worrying about that part of the asset allocation is maybe not something that is necessary for you at this time. Does that make sense? It does. And I guess my biggest thing was just trying to make sure that I am diversified, you know, outside of the 401k, something completely separate with purchasing stocks and starting to do that, that that alone would be diversified enough in purchasing different, you know, stocks. And it sounds like it it is that I wouldn't need to do bonds. And it sounds like it, I would definitely need to research a lot more and learn a lot more about them before I started diving into that. Oh, yes. Before you buy anything like that, I would definitely do some research, talk to some people. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Okay. Well, yes, that totally answers that question. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that's all. Those are my main questions that I had. And 
I, I really appreciate both of your all's time. I'm new to this, and I, I love learning this kind of stuff. It's a big animal, and, you know, I started in it because I figure, why not? Why can't I learn? So many other people, you know, understand this. Why can't I learn? And I came across Andrew's website and kind of started to read a little bit, and it's just, it's been really great. And so I'm, I'm appreciative, and thank you for taking my call. Yeah, most definitely. Well, hopefully we're able to find little animals that you can slay for now and then you know, <laughs> build up your skills until you can slay the big one. <laughs> well, exactly. Aaron, I wanted to, to thank you for taking the time out to speak to us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope you found some value in some of the things that we were saying today. And, you know, I have to applaud you. You're asking some great questions. You're doing the right thing. This is, you know, I've said this before, I wish I could take some of these people and clone you and send you out into the world because this is a area of opportunity in our country, you know, at the very least, that is not being taken advantage of. And, I, you know, it's a shame. And we all have to learn this on our own, which is, again, another shame. But that's why Andrew and I are here, just try to help people. And we appreciate you taking the time. And, you know, I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because you're doing great things and you're asking great questions. You know, three years ago, I wouldn't have been asking these good of questions. So I'm, I'm really impressed with the, the quality of the, your, you know, your inquisitiveness. So that's, you know, I applaud you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you're you. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.